Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Before we begin, a note from our sponsor. I'm Richard Jacobs, Executive Director of the nonprofit Finding Genius Foundation and host of the Finding Genius Podcast. In late 2016, I was rear-ended at 65 miles an hour by a truck on the highway, which sent me off-road into a ditch. The impact of the collision gave me a concussion and other injuries. At the hospital, a CT scan showed that I had thyroid nodules, which turned out to be cancer. It was then, when I had a biopsy in my neck, that I realized, even if I was a millionaire, I wouldn't want a second or a third biopsy due to the pain and the invasiveness of it. And appointments at that time for thyroid experts were three to six months out. And I was worried about dying now, even if that was irrational. So because of this, I've decided to raise money to conduct a literature review on steroids, on the causes of anxiety and depression, a condition that affects well over 50 million people in the United States and hundreds of millions worldwide. Our goal is to create a codex, a guide that reveals all possible treatments for anxiety and depression for people that live with the condition or for loved ones that have it, as my wife and my son do. To find out more about our fundraiser, visit FindingGeniusFoundation.org and click on Current Initiatives. And now, to our guest. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. I have uh, Moritz Lehman. He's a PhD candidate in physics. He's at the University of Bayreuth, uh, located in Germany, and we're going to talk about microplastics. So, Moritz, thank you for coming. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. Tell me... um, I've interviewed a number of people about microplastics, but for people that don't know, what are microplastics and how are you studying them? So microplastics are tiny fragments of plastics um, that are found in the environment, um, mostly from degrading plastic waste that somehow ended up in the environment. And it's uh, it's really hard to get rid of them. And uh, they don't really disappear. They just break up in smaller and smaller pieces and they are everywhere. And that's a real problem. Yeah, um, what what got me uh, into microplastics? It's a bit of a longer story um, because I, I I had a little idea ab- about microplastic when I started my um, studying at the University of Bayreuth. So my my background is um, I I'm a theoretical physicist, but I'm also a programmer at the same time. So I write my own software. Oh, cool! And when I when I did my bachelor thesis. I uh, got to the biofluid simulation and modeling group and we did blood flow simulations there with a um, Lettuce Boltzmann software. So um, this got me into uh, computational fluid dynamics. However, the software that we used at the time was um, rather slow. It it took several weeks to to do um, most of the calculations. So um, I I started writing my own Lettuce Boltzmann CFD software from the ground up. And um, because I did it in the OpenCL framework, um, which is uh, GPU programming, it turned out to be that my code was much faster. And so I kept going and it eventually um, turned from a hobby into my master thesis. And then during my master thesis, the possibility arose that I could do my PhD at the Collaborative Research Center, um, the CRC 1357 Microplastics, 
It's a um, research project found, um, funded by the German Science Foundation. And um, the CSC microplastics is all about studying microplastics in the environment, the properties. Wait, what, what does that mean specifically? What do your models do? I, I don't understand yet. What are you, what are you modeling? Yeah, so I, um, I'm modeling um, fluid flow. So the Navier-Stokes equations um, from, from a physical um, point of view. And my software is uh, specifically designed to, do, um, to, to simulate water surfaces. So, so moving water surface with um, surface tension. So for example, I do impacting raindrops and um, simulate the splashing and then look at if microplastic particles can be transported into the tiny droplets that then end up in the air. Are you saying microplastics, uh, they aerosolize? What, what do you mean? What happens? Where? Yeah, that's, that's the thing that I'm trying to find out. And it's um, a, a really tough and difficult question. So the, the microplastics in the ocean They are present everywhere, also in the ocean water, and there's a um, so-called sea surface microlayer. So at the at the very surface of the ocean, um, there's a higher concentration of particles. And what I'm looking at, if if it is possible somehow for these particles that float at the ocean surface in the water to somehow transition into the atmosphere, and this is a really a really tough question to um, get information about. You could do it experimentally. Um, that's also what we're doing in the CRC. I, I have a colleague, Marie, uh, Lisa Marie Oeschlegel in um, Berlin at the Technical University there. She's doing experiments on this. And I'm doing um, simulations. So I'm looking at, at, at it from a computer simulation part. So in, in experiments, you always have limited information. You, you have to do high-speed um, high speed uh, images and then do maybe fluorescent particles it it gets really difficult um to uh, to get sufficient information i'm looking at it from the um computer simulation point of view and in the computer simulation you you have the the big picture you know everything and in in my simulations i i i did impacting raindrops so i um basically shooted raindrops at a water pool And then looked at what happens when, when the water is splashing upwards, when, when the spray droplets are generated. And during this impact at the perimeter of, of the uh, impact site, the, the fluid shoots up very fast and then separates into, into hundreds of tiny droplets. And I found out that the microplastic particles, if there's any floating around at the sea surface microlayer, they do end up in these tiny little droplets and in the, the concentration in the droplets is actually very, very similar to the concentration in the um, ocean surface. So this was another thing that wasn't clear from the beginning because the raindrop that, um, that hits the water, the raindrop is devoid of particles. And um, it could be that the fluid of the raindrop somehow ends up in the spray droplets, but um, this is not the case. The majority of the spray is actually ocean water. Yeah, so so we found okay, out. So, that you're, so you're saying that microplastics get entrained in droplets. Exactly. So this could happen in you know if they're near any water. What about uh, on dust? Have you modeled that to see if they're picked up by dust? So with dust particles, I would assume it's very similar. In, in my computer simulations, um, the the particles themselves had rather limit a, a limited set of um, properties. I could, um, for example, give them a density and they had some sort of hydrodynamic interaction. However, you, you could substitute them 
easily with with dust particles. However, the um, the the difference is that in the long term, um, dust particles have a higher density, so in the water they tend to sink, whereas microplastics um, have a density similar to that of water, so they tend to float at the surface. Have you been able to model how a large piece of plastic breaks up into micro? Able um, to model the um, yeah, how they break up and then the the types of shapes that are energetically preferred of the microplastic pieces? No, I, I didn't look up at the breakup specifically. I, I focused um, on what happens if the particles have already um, broken up into into these tiny microplastics and then what happens to these tiny microplastics. Do you think that modeling would be useful to figure that out? And uh, what would be your speculation on it? Yeah, it, it would certainly be um, a very useful insight to um, to know how exactly the plastics break up Currently, we think that it is due to several processes at the ocean surface. Specifically, um, there's like wave action, the surface is moving, and um, there's a lot of solar radiation hitting the plastic, so it, it becomes brittle over time. And due to the movement, we, we expect it to break up, but we also have little insight on, um, on how it uh, specifically works. But I focused more on what happens if there's already these tiny microplastic particles and um, how mobile are they and um, can they transition in the in the air? And the answer to that is yes. And that is really surprising. But what do you notice about the uh, the shape and the, um, you know, the charge of these microplastic pieces? Do they tend to bond preferentially with, you know, hydrophobic or hydrophilic elements? I mean, what about the chemistry side of it? What do you notice? Before we continue... I've been personally funding the Finding Genius podcast for four and a half years now, which has led to 2,700 plus interviews of clinicians, researchers, scientists, CEOs, and other amazing people who are working to advance science and improve our lives and our world. Even though this podcast gets 100,000 plus downloads a month, we need your help to reach hundreds of thousands more worldwide. Please visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click on Support Us. We have three levels of membership from $10 to $49 a month, including perks such as the ability to see ahead in our interview calendar and ask questions of upcoming guests, transcripts of podcasts you're interested in, the ability to request specific topics or guests, and more. Visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click support us today. Now back to the show. So in in my simulations, um, I could do um, really limited uh, parameters on on the properties of of the microplastics. Um, I, I couldn't give them like a surface charge. The only thing that I modeled was that they that they like cannot exit the water right away and um, sort of jump out of the water, which is um, unphysical behavior. You would expect them if they if they are at the water surface to um, to stick to the surface and um, not leave the water face by themselves. Only if the droplets can fully evaporate, then the particle um, sort of floats free in the atmosphere. But on on the chemistry side, um, besides the um, sticking to the surface, I couldn't really model a lot in the simulation. Because the model is, it's difficult enough. And as a physicist, I, I always try to find the simplest model that um, sufficiently captures what, what's actually going on without overcomplicating things and to, to have a model that is reproducible and, and simple enough. With the impacting raindrops, the difficulty there was that um, you have like a, a raindrop impact at the entire scale is several centimeters. And on the other hand, you have these microscopic particles that are tens of micrometers in diameter. So you have, on, on the one hand, you have 
tens of micrometers. And on the other hand, you have tens of millimeters. That is three orders of magnitude in, in scale that you're trying to resolve in simulation. And this is, that requires um, gigantic amounts of, of memory. And the memory is, is rather limited on, on the computer systems, especially right. on, on graphics cards. But are you able to, um, so that would be if a plastic has already broken down and then it was exposed to water. I could see how the water again would carry it and aerosolize it, et cetera. But does anyone have any insight on how uh, a plastic bottle, for instance, starts to break up to form smaller and smaller pieces and how many cycles, like if I take, you know, again, a, a plastic bottle, when it first breaks, does it break into pieces that are, you know, an inch size across or, you know, 100 millimeters or, you know, sorry, 20 millimeters. And then it's, then it breaks again. Typically it's a five millimeter pieces and then it breaks again. Like how many cycles of, of breaking has anyone been able to estimate that? I, I can't really give you uh, information on that as I don't uh, really know myself. I, I only know um, that you, you find the microplastics. So that is um, the output and the input is the, the plastic waste that flows into the ocean um, via the rivers, for example. And um, in between, there has to be a process, um, as, as you say, that the plastic bottles break down in, in steps to, to smaller and smaller pieces. But um, I don't know uh, how specifically that works, but it's also a um, subject of, of current research. There's um, experiments going well, on with, with weathering plastics and um, trying to find out the properties. Also, the, the chemists at our CRC are working on that. Is anyone modeling that? You know, do they have like a tank that that agitates back and forth with plastic bottles in it, and you know, they put in ultraviolet light and they try to recreate conditions in in nature? Do you know any labs that are doing that to try to break apart these things to see how they break apart? I don't know specifically at our CSC. I don't think we are doing these um, experiments with macroplastics and the transition from macroplastics to microplastics. We are mo more focused on what happens when the plastics are already tiny. But we have a lot of um, scientists uh, interdisciplinarily um, researching um, on, on the properties of the tiny particles then. For example, also the, the, the chemists and the biologists, they um, focus a lot on um, the eco-corona of, of the particles. So on, on the microplastic um, particle surface, um, they tend to stick, uh, biological molecules tend to stick to the particle surface. Not only um, molecules, but also um, microorganisms, if they are small enough. And um, this changes the, the physical properties of the particles, um, how they behave in, uh, in nature, in, in the transport processes, and also especially how they behave in a biological way. For example, a, another researcher, uh, Anja Ramsberger, found out that the weathered microplastic particles When they have an eco-corona, um, they do something um, like the Trojan horse effect. So microorganisms see the particles and think the particles are food because they are covered um, in biological molecules that look like food to the, to the microorganism. And then the, the cell tries to eat the particle and engulfs it via endocytosis. Um, but then the particle is stuck inside the cell and the cell can't digest it and um, can't throw it out anymore. And it um, inhibits some of the mechanical um, functions of the cell and, and some of the well-being and, and the growth of, of the cells. So this is still um, very much uh, current research going on um, there to, to find out the, the biological effects of, of microplastics as well. 
If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. Through your modeling, though, you see that they're readily taken up and entrained and spread. What does this tell you about where these plastics could go that maybe no one contemplated? Yeah, so the current findings um, also from, from my research are that microplastics are extremely mobile in the environment. They can go from anywhere to anywhere else on the globe, which is really surprising. So um, microplastics have been found in Antarctica. They have been found at the top of Mount Everest in places where no people live. And still, yet still microplastics end up in these places. And the proposed mechanism is, of course, atmospheric transport. So once microplastics are in the air, they are so tiny, the particles, that they can stay afloat for very long periods of time and um, can be transported uh, across very, very, very long distances. And I think it's a very similar process to um, to how uh, dust aerosols um, are also transported. For example, right now on my windowsill, um, there's dust from, from another continent, from Sahara. There was um, large dust plumes um, this week coming from the Sahara across Europe and the sky turned like yellow and it was a bit crazy. But this this shows that um, it is possible that um, tiny particles can be transported across thousands of kilometers by the atmosphere. And microplastics also follow these criteria. They are extremely tiny and can, uh, can stay afloat for, for a very long time. And the, the part that I really focus my research on is if it is possible that these microplastics in the air do not only come from terrestrial sources, like, for example, the sun in, in, in the Sahara um, only comes from terrestrial source, but also from um, marine sources, from, from the ocean surface. Um, because previous research has already suggested um, that the ocean might be a source of airborne microplastics. Um, Steve and D. Allen have, have found that... Uh, Plastics um, in the air come especially also from the ocean when, when the wind blows in from, from the ocean across the coast. And this suggests that there must be some process going on that, that the plastics can transition across the water surface. So one process I, I already told you about is the um, impacting raindrops. Um, and currently I am working on simulating a second process, which is bursting air bubbles. So when there's um, movement at the ocean surface and um, breaking waves and uh, there's, there's bubbles entrained in the water and then the bubbles rise again to the surface and when they then arrive, they, they burst and pop and there's two processes actually at play that can generate tiny droplets. The one is um, film droplets. So like a, like from a soap bubble, when, when the film tears apart, it, it creates tiny droplets. This is for the, for the larger bubbles. And for the tiny um, microscopic bubbles, um, there's a jet uh, emerging. And this, this tiny microscopic jet produces one or, or even several tiny droplets. And it could be that microplastics end up in these tiny droplets. And this is what I'm currently uh, also investigating. So what, um, I don't know, what, what hypotheses are you testing with your research going forward? Yeah, I'm, I'm looking um, if the spray droplets are transport vehicles, are possible transport vehicles for the, for, the, um, for, for the atmospheric transition. And it is not as straightforward as it sounds um, because for, for the raindrops, um, I did a, a secondary analysis um, of the droplets. So the simulation provided me with statistics. I, I simulated uh, many hundreds of, of impacting raindrops, each generating several hundreds of droplets. And I know for, for every one of these droplets, the size and the speed and how many particles are inside. 
And with this data, I did a secondary analysis. I, I, I simulated the um, trajectories of the droplets in the air, um, accommodating for evaporation and um, for, for different wind conditions. And what I found out was that the, um, the larger droplets, they just um, fly up and then fall down to, to the ocean surface and no transport happens. However, the, the tiny droplets, the small droplets can be carried on by the wind until they fully evaporate and only the, the microplastics stay behind. And for raindrops, I already showed that this is possible, that there's um, a, a fraction of the droplets generated is um, within the size range that they can fully evaporate. And for the bubbles, I'm testing the same hypothesis. So um, if, if there's um, droplets generated that are small enough and microplastics can get into these droplets, then it is very likely that uh, transport actually happens. Okay. Very interesting. Well, very good. Moritz, what's the best way for people to find out more about your research? Where can they go? So uh, you can find me on the university website of the Biofluid Simulation and Modeling Group. I'm also on the website of the CRC Microplastics, that's uh, CRC1357. And um, to, to reach out to me, I'm also on Twitter and on YouTube um, with the uh, name Project Physics with an X at the end. On YouTube, I do a lot of fancy videos of my simulations um, so that people can actually see what is what is going on so it's 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 not a black box um, and you can see graphically um, what what the computer is doing oh very cool okay well Moritz thank you so much for coming on the podcast I appreciate it yeah thanks a pleasure if you like this podcast please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.